0: Uh, Would you join me in welcoming uh, Jerome and his wife Joanne with us here today?
1: Good morning. morning. I was going to say that I, uh, probably every Sunday I'm at a different church in our conference. We have like 120 churches that I oversee in our conference, and we talk about the Central Conference, and I totally agree with your pastor. I'm not sure how it got that name a long time ago, because we're, all of Indiana, all of Illinois, most of Wisconsin, eastern portion of Missouri, and I don't know why they stuck the what we call the UP way up in Michigan. I don't know how they got in the mix. Somebody cut a deal a long time ago, you know. So um, I'm I'm, I'm new that as well. I also feel like when I go to churches, I need to explain because when people say superintendent, you and especially meeting in the school, you think about the school superintendent of schools or something. I was sitting there thinking about that, like, whoa, okay. But that's, imagine if you, were, if you were brought up in a Lutheran church or a Catholic church or a Methodist church, I would be a, a bishop. They would call me a bishop in those churches. We just happen to call them superintendents. I think somebody had something against calling people bishops a long time ago. I'm not sure how that happened. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I thank you for this opportunity. I am used to going to different churches. So as a result of that, I never know what's going to happen on a Sunday morning so basically until I get there, I know what I'm going to preach about, but I don't know how I'll be received, what I'll be asked to do. So I've learned how to just be flexible. My wife's learned how to be flexible. I'll come in, and she's used to someone say, well, come with me. And then now she knows she's got to go find something to do or go sit by herself someplace until somebody come get her. You know. So she's used to doing that. The other thing that's, that I don't know is that when I go to, we have African-American churches on the south side of Chicago that I go to. And whenever I go, I know that I have to be dressed like the superintendent or the bishop so I have to wear a shirt and tie and stuff. I know I know that. Same thing with our Hispanic churches. Uh, they expect me to come with a shirt and tie on. Same thing with our Korean, first, especially first-generation Korean churches. They all have suits on, so I would wear a suit. Now, I come to a church like yours, so I'm not really sure what to do. I figure I can get away with not wearing a tie. I figure I'd be cool. I'd be straight with that. I'd be straight. But I wasn't sure about the jacket. I didn't know how that was going to play. I didn't know what was gonna happen. So I need to ask you a favor, because I am already hot. I know I'm gonna sweat. I know I'm gonna I move around and stuff, so I know I'm gonna sweat. So if nobody's gonna say, oh man, the superintendent took off his jacket, I hate him for that. So if nobody's gonna say that, then I'll take off my jacket. Is that cool? Now, if you're okay with that, I wanna really stretch this now. If you're okay with that, and, and if I take my shirt out of my pants, will you be cool? <laughs> Can I get away with that? No, I can't get away with that. Okay, cool. I'm straight. Thank you very much. I have to check. Just checking. Just checking. I, um, always ask people, I've been preaching for, I don't know, 30, 40, for a long time. So I never get nervous when I preach anymore. Um, but I always have a, this sense that whenever I stand up, in front of God's people, that who am I to think that I have something to say for God to people? So I'm always, in, I'm always feeling like, thank you, I'm always feeling like I, I'm, that, that makes me not nervous, but just uh, humble when I do that. So as a result of that, I always ask people to take a moment, please, and pray for me silently, that what God has put on my heart, I'll be able to get that out of my mouth in that same spirit, and that you'd also be able to receive it in that same spirit. So please take a moment and pray for me silently. Thank you very much. Plus, I like saying this, and, you know, my my wife, I know she's going to look at me when I finish saying this, but I always say it, and she always shakes her head at me. But now that I ask you to pray for me, so if I don't do well, it's your fault. Because you're say, well, you pray for me. Ephesians chapter 3. I think that people sometimes think that God, or don't know that God was sitting around up in heaven someplace and he didn't have anything to do and then one day he said, oh man, I think I'll create Adam and Eve and I'll make some plants and I'll separate the sky and all those kind of things, but the Bible tells us that that wasn't the case at all, that the church. We're talking about the church that we're part of now, and your theme was that once you were people, we were not a people. It was like, we were not included in that plan. But what Paul was trying to say in Ephesians is that that's not really true. God, in the mind of God, it tells us in Ephesians that in the mind of God, the church had its origin in God's mind before it even happened, that he understood, that he knew what he was going to do. So, when the passage that your pastor read this morning, when it says something like, so, that one day he would be able to reveal to the heavenlies, the authorities, and those kind of things, that basically all the angels, all the heavenly creatures, everybody in heaven is going to be shocked one day, like, what is God up to? He didn't tell them that. That's what the mystery was. And Paul said that, that it wasn't a mystery, even though God had a plan. The same thing with Jesus Christ, was that we want to believe that God had all this stuff worked out, or he didn't have it worked out, but he's kind of kind of just playing by ear, I'll, I'll do this and I'll make this change, or I'll make that change. But basically, that when Jesus came down, they didn't understand. Not only did not understand on earth, the angels didn't understand what is up with Jesus. Why is he going to take on this human body? Wait, 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 wait. He's second in charge. That's Jesus' son. What is, what is he up to? Why is he doing that? They didn't understand that. So when they, they, they watched him being beaten and spat on, and all of a sudden, they're just like, man, what's up? But. It was also in God's plan that Satan didn't know that as well. Can you imagine with me that if Satan understood that if once he killed Jesus, what was going to happen, that he was finished, he'd have been walking around with armies of demons, protect him, protect him, don't let nothing happen to Jesus. Because as long as Jesus was alive, he could still influence people. So if he'd have known, he would have never killed Jesus. He would have said, stop. He would have been sitting around being joyous and happy to watch him on that cross being crucified. So what Paul is saying is that there was a mystery That only in the mind of God, I'm sure that Jesus understood it because Jesus said he he went along with the plan. Like, okay, come on. (laughs) Imagine Jesus and God having this conversation. Hey, son, I got a plan. It's between me and you. Nobody on earth is going to understand this. Neither will the angels understand this. All the creatures that are up here with us won't really understand this. But trust me, I know what I'm doing. I really got this. I got this. So Paul says that when, when you read the Bible, that a long time ago, they didn't understand that. So in, my, in God's mind, he said, okay, well, one day I know that I want an assembly. I know I want this group of called out people to be doing something on earth. I want them to be part of changing the world. So we might not have called the church in the Old Testament time, the church, but it was an assembly of called out ones. So God started off by saying, hey, Abraham, get up, come on out of there. I want you to go into the world. I want you to just move where you're at, and I want you to set a new example. It's not a Bible book, but, but any of you ever heard of the book of uh, Josephus? Josephus was a Jewish prophet. And in Josephus it says that Abraham was not just somebody who didn't have anything else to do, but that basically he, what his claim to fame was was that he went around talking about this one God that was foreign to people. They knew about many gods, and they knew about statues, and uh, worshiping fish and those kind of things but they didn't understand the principle that there's one God. And that Abraham was actually one that went around talking about those things. So he went in, when he went to Egypt it, those had been invitations. Like man, come talk. To, what, what's up with that? Who is this person? Who is this God that you're talking about? So God called him out. God had Abraham to do and set all the stuff in motion. Set everything, so I'm going to build a great nation out of you and make these things happen. So That call that God had, he gave it to Abraham. Abraham now passed that on to the nation of Israel. It is now your job. It is now your responsibility to be this example in the world. To let people know about this one God. And realize that they they had a purpose. They were supposed to remain separate. They were never supposed to have intermingled. They were never supposed to have been with these heathens. That they were supposed to be having a life separated. Now, the goal was to have people that didn't know this God to come and join their group, come and join the church because they saw that God was with these people. They saw that God was moving them and directing them. If you ever read, when you read in Genesis, the story of the Exodus, people heard about what this God was. God was thinking clouds come at night. They would have heard about five pillars of fire at night, clouds during the day, manna coming from the sky, all those things. God wanted Israel to be that example to say, hey, I want some of that. I want to live like those people are living. I want to act like those people are acting. I want to be a part of what they're doing. Obviously, that one God that we don't know anything about or don't understand, he's got it going on. They're doing things that are miraculous. He's opening up seas. They're walking through seas and stuff. Fire's coming out of mountains. All these things are happening. That's what God wanted for the Old Testament church to be a part of. They also have been telling people about That's what the word words come from, proselyting, proselytizing, was that people you go and say, hey, let me tell you about my God. And they became part of that group. God's given us that same task that he gave the old church at that time. He gave them the responsibility of writing the scriptures, the apostles, the prophets, to prophesy and talk more about God, explain that to people. Also gave them the responsibility of bringing Jesus into the world. As a Jew, he gave them that responsibility because, again, he knew what the plan was so that one day he knew that he would be able to say, okay, he knew I'm going to send my son. So the realization of this New Testament, I'll call it New Testament church, for lack of a better word, was that that was going to come into existence. And when that came into existence, his son would be leading that. Again, so this wasn't a mistake. Like, God didn't have anything else to do. didn't really understand that. But that purpose that he came and said, now, this is what you do. Understood that that same responsibility that God had given to the Old Testament church or assembly was now passed on to, quote, the church or the New Testament church. That is what we are part of today. That we were also given a responsibility to be to tell people about the truth. To go ye therefore making disciples and t- teaching people, baptizing them and letting them understand about this God understand what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be serving a God. And then also that we're supposed to learn the art of submission, that we're submitted to a person that's of God and Jesus Christ, that we're going to submit to that authority and let him lead us and guide us in this life that was responsible he was given us, and that we're supposed to prepare for an eternal life on earth. I think that sometimes we think that The Bible is going to, something's going to happen one day and God's going, Jesus is going to come back and then we're all going to go to heaven and stay there. That's not what the Bible says. But he's trying to prepare you that one day we're all going to come back here and we'll have an earthly ministry. To all those people that were still deceived, the Bible says that people are going to be raised from the dead. And we're going to be waiting around for them like, hey, sister, come in, let me tell you something. You just came back, but I'm going to tell you about this Jesus that we know about. That's now becomes our responsibility. to not only tell those that haven't died yet, but those when we come back that died in their own sins, they'll also get another chance. So I think that we think that we just have this, we're supposed to go to church on Sundays and act like Christians and smile at one another and say we're going to go do nice things together. We're going to act real nice towards one another. That was never God's purpose for the church. Not so much you're not supposed to do nice things for one another, but that was not why you're saved and to carry this whole mission out. As I think about this, this whole purpose, I think about this passage that was read in Samuel when the Evangelical Covenant Church, some of you have seen this video that your pastor mentioned. We've at the church, Evangelical Covenant Church, have adopted five missional priorities for over the next 10 years. Not so much that they're new, but just there's five things that we're going to concentrate on and trying to carry out the kingdom, the work that God has for us to do in this kingdom time. And we take it from the example of David, when David went to fight the Goliath. Here's David minding his own business, tending sheep, wasn't bothering anybody. All of a sudden, Samuel show up, and now he, now he, they all thought, oh, he's called in to now talk to all of them. That Samuel's going to anoint this family and this priestly, do his priestly duties there. Actually, they were afraid. At first, they were saying, whoa, why is Samuel showing up? It's almost like my job as superintendent. Usually when I show up, somebody's in trouble. The pastor's in trouble. There's a conflict in the church. Somebody's upgraded, to, to fire somebody, or I'm coming in, and the last minute trying to ride in on my horse and try to save somebody. So when I show up for the church, I used to call the pastors. I'm coming to church Sunday because they see me walking, and it's like, oh man, not him. You <laughs> know, why is he here today? So, but anyway, so I imagine what Samuel went through. But what happened was that David said, realized that he didn't even know what was going on. He was out tending sheep. So when they called him, Samuel said, Well, call you got one more son. So David said, What what's what's up? Why, why is everybody walking around scared? What's what's up with everybody? Why is everybody looking all shook up and stuff? What's up with that? And they begin to tell him, hey, man, these Philistines got a giant named Goliath. He's a bad dude. Everybody's afraid of him. We're afraid to go fight him. Nobody wants to stand up to him. He's threatening us, picking on us, talking about us, mocking us. And the Bible says for 40 days, Goliath will come out and say, hey, you chumps. Who's bad enough to come out and beat me? Who want to fight me? For 40 days, see, I guess he'll go back to sleep. next morning. Hey, chumps. Talking about him, threatening him. And David said, What's up with that? Don't you know that we are God's people? We should not be afraid of him. Where is he at? In fact, who is he anyway? And they said that David walked out and said, hey, chump, who do you think you are that you can come in front of and threaten God's people? I'm not talking about threatening me. I'm talking about God's people. You must be out of your mind. Goliath said, what is this? Like, I'm, I'm, Am I a chump going to send this little boy ahead of the fight and fight me? Say, hey, man, let me tell you something. The God that I serve, he's with me every day. In fact, I'd beat up some lions. When lions tried to attack my sheep, i beat, hey, i will take the club and hit them in the head with it. I'd split their mouths apart. I'm that bad because God gave me that strength. In fact, i beat up some bears too because God gave me that strength to do that. So, hey, chump, I'm coming against you. He said, okay. said, so David went and picked up some rocks. Saul tried to put his armor." on. He said, man, I don't need that. That stuff don't fit me. It's not working for me. That's, what not, that's not what God gave me to fight with. He would understand now in the Bible of David, was, he didn't understand what the Bible says. Put on the full armor of God. He would have understood that. That's what David said. I already got that covered, man. I, I'm already dressed like I should be dressed. I got on everything that I need to go win this battle. Everything I already got that. I think that sometimes we walk around thinking that we're either intimidated by people, we're afraid to talk to people. We should be walking around just walking them down the street, not afraid to talk to anybody. Plus the scripture say? when God's on your side, who could be against you? What could win? But we're intimidated by that. And I tell people all the time, you may not have the gift of evangelism, but there's one thing that we have all got. If you're in here today, obviously at some point in your life, God touched you in some kind of way. He did something. We all have a testimony about what God has done for you. That's all God expects you to tell. He has to come up. We don't have to know all the scriptures and memorize the Bible to do that. Just tell them what God has done for you and in your life. And let them know what God can do for them as well. So they said that David picked up these stones And Goliath must have been tripped out at that time because here comes this little kid, picked up some stones. They said, the Bible says that he started walking to Goliath. Hey, chop, I'm coming. I'm on my way. Didn't ask for anything else. Just took out one of them stones. I understand him taking five because he could have missed. I understand that. He's still human. But he knew that God was going to be with him no matter what happened. That he knew that God was going to be there. Imagine if we as saints that we're now part of this church if we had that same attitude about God and believe that we can actually do that, do you realize that, that the church is growing in every country in the world except for the United States, Africa, China, Brazil, and South American countries? Because people out there talking about the gospel, they're seeing miracles happen. They're watching miracles take place because they believe that. The challenge to you today is that we are a mission. God has given us a mission to do, giving us responsibility to tell others about Jesus Christ, help others come to Christ and know the same things we know. It's almost like we're being selfish to be able to get this gift and not want to share it. Can you imagine if, if, I'm trying to imagine, I know that for women, if they heard about a good sale, you'd run and tell somebody, girl, they got a sale on, you got to go down there. But guys, we come up with something different. Like, hey, man, they got sales on these cars down there, man, you need to go check this out. It's the bomb. People walking up to you don't even know you're saved. You won't even talk about Jesus. We don't even know that you're a Christian. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. And I'm very, always very conscious of time, so I'm going to stop. I have a video for you to watch, if you could do that for me, please.
2: Greetings, friends, and thank you. These are important days of partnership among our more than 800 congregations in this movement we call the Evangelical Covenant Church. We're impacting more lives through more churches with greater diversity than at any point in our 126-year history. Even greater opportunity awaits because even greater needs in the world await. An important biblical principle for me is this. Hope shows up when people who care show up. Together we're making a real difference in the lives of real people in real places not only in the United States and Canada, but in 38 countries around the world because we do show up with the love of God in word and deed. There are five strategic priorities we pursue. We start and strengthen churches, we make and deepen disciples, we develop leaders, we love mercy and do justice, and we serve globally, pursuing those same priorities internationally. Now, we start and strengthen churches because we believe the local church, wherever it exists, is God's basic strategy for impacting the world. If we want to see more mission, we want to start more churches and make sure that all of our churches have resources for a thriving future. That's why we start one new congregation every two to three weeks, somewhere in the United States and Canada. Half of those are among populations of color or intentionally multi-ethnic, making the covenant more reflective of the kingdom of God and more capable of reaching the entirety of the mission field right here. It's not just about starting new churches. We want all of our congregations, regardless of setting and style and age, to be healthy missional churches. We're investing a lot to stand alongside existing churches, providing important and insightful tools for taking stock of where they might be right now and making available coaching and other resources uh, for moving with vision and vitality into the future. In making and deepening disciples, we want people to experience new life in Christ and then grow in an ever-deepening walk with God. In other words, to know God's love, to grow in God's love, and to bring that love to the world. Last year, our churches reported more than 12,000 first-time commitments to becoming a follower of Jesus. Some 22,000 children and youth will attend our 21 conference centers next summer, making deeply meaningful decisions that will shape their faith. Chick, our denominational youth conference, will gather another 5,000 students to prepare a whole new generation to follow and serve Christ. Helpful resources, experiences, and events to help cultivate a deeper life with God are developed regularly and are available to preview on our website, cubchurch.org. In the area of developing leaders, we seek to develop people of character and competence and conviction who serve with constancy and substance over time. This applies to both clergy and and lay leaders. With clergy, did you know that we have 1,700 credentialed leaders, women and men, who serve as lead pastors, staff pastors, missionaries, military chaplains, hospital chaplains, and other parachurch settings? A thousand of these have already participated in our Sustaining Pastoral Excellence program made available through a Lilly Foundation grant. CHET, our Spanish language training school, is moving into a permanent new campus to serve its burgeoning enrollment of more than 400 Hispanic leaders. North Park University's mission is to develop students for lives of significance and service. It both graduated its largest class ever and enrolled its largest ever incoming class. The seminary remains a vital source for preparing pastors and leaders to serve effectively. For local church lay leaders, Nearly half of our congregations last year benefited from targeted seminars and experiences related to areas such as congregational vitality, prayer, disability ministries, youth event speaker teams, and planning resources. And a thousand young adults receive first-hand leadership experiences while serving on camp staff. Loving mercy and doing justice is simply about joining God and making things right in the world. We take a biblical perspective. It's about addressing both hurts and the causes of that hurt. And so we have a network of two hospitals, 14 retirement communities, and eight group homes for developmentally disabled adults. Together, those entities provided $43 million in free care this last year. We engage in relief projects around the world, responding to disasters. Things like the East African drought, the Japanese tsunami, and and yes, we're still in Haiti. We find ways to help congregations take tangible steps in the area of racial reconciliation through cross-cultural immersion experiences like Sankofa and seminars like Invitation to Racial Righteousness. And finally, we serve globally which is to say, around the world, in 38 countries, on five continents, we impact more than a million lives together. We're the same priorities of starting and strengthening churches, making and deepening disciples, developing leaders, and loving mercy, doing justice. Our missionary team is growing and now has 130 gifted and dedicated individuals serving on our behalf. And we're strong in partnerships with national churches. The lost are being found. Churches are being planted. God is being worshipped. Leaders are being developed. The sick are being cared for. The hungry are being fed. Children are learning to read. Families are learning micro-enterprise skills to more fully provide for themselves and strengthen their communities. Women and girls are being freed from human trafficking. And disasters are being responded to. Yes, hope does show up when people who care show up. You are showing up all over the world bringing hope because of this partnership. I'm convinced, I'm absolutely convinced that God has critically important things for us to accomplish in a world of great need. It'll only happen as we live in this mission together. So pray and engage. And know that your increasing financial support is critical to advancing both our collective work and the work of your regional conference. On behalf of a grateful movement, I thank God for your faithfulness, and I pray for your continued fruitfulness. The Lord be with you now and only.
1: This is who we are as a church. This is our mission in the world. And as this regional superintendent, whatever you want to call me, I'm asking you to join us in this thing. And God bless you and amen.
0: Um, Can you join me in thanking uh, Jerome again for being with us today? Can I ask you to come up real quick, Jerome? Uh, I didn't—I didn't didn't tell our superintendent how long sermons normally last, so you just experienced the shortest sermon in the history of our church. Um, So I'm—I'm gonna take advantage of him being here. I'm gonna ask you one question on behalf of our church. I hope that you can share with us how long. Okay, two questions. How long have you been in ministry? 40 years. 40 years. Okay. That's a long time. Would you agree? So most of us have not been in ministry that long or alive that long. Um, (laughs) um, I want you, could you say something to us, to, to, to a group of people who are kind of embarking on, on this journey of being the people of God, of learning what it means to be a people who live the way you describe today. Um, most of us, we, we maybe don't have a, an imagination for this because we've not experienced it before. So I wonder if you could just say what over your years of ministry, of your years of walking with the Lord, what, what do you think we need to know? What do you think we need to, to, to carry very closely to us as we do our best to be obedient to God's call on our lives as a church? Good question. Good question. And, and I want to clarify one thing, too, is that
1: uh, that's a, that short sermon is a habit of going to Anglo churches. Twenty minutes is it? And they will come and tell you you went a little long, brother. You know, so so I'm, I'm paranoid <laughs> when, I, when I preach. But what I say to you is that one of the things they talk about developing developing leaders. One of the things that's been on my heart so strongly is that we need to be concentrating on developing young leaders. At there was a point in my life where young, where older pastors said, um, and wife would tell you, I, we think you're called to ministry. Let us help you with that." And kind of grabbed me and began to tell me things and talk to me. To mentor me into being on that walk w- with God, and one thing, once he told me, one pastor told me one time, is that always remember or never forget your calling. See, sometimes I think that people, um, even being in the pastor, well, I'm called to ministry, I'm not sure if that's always the case. You might have just got saved, and that's how you're supposed to act when you get saved. You will not be happy that you got saved. Sometimes you say, I'm happy. I need to go preach now. Nope. Shut up. Just living to your call. And allow yourself to be a Christian, and let God begin to work with you in that, and commit to that, that that, that life. We were we were um, at just that. This thing we called chick. Some of you may have heard about that. Were five thousand young people. We just came back. I don't know when I came back, but anyway, we just came back from that. And one of the things that one of the, the speakers said to them is that we make things so complicated. We make things so hard because of our own selfishness. Those things that we want to do. The commitment that you make is to Jesus Christ. And like she was, in fact, not to be rude, but she was saying to these young people, look, if you want to stop committing sin and stop, you know, stop committing fornication, just keep your clothes on. I mean, it sounds kind of simple, but it's the truth, just don't do it because you realize that I'm committed to this thing. And I think that sometimes we lose sight of that and that we want to be still in the world. It's just comfortable living, sliding through life with one leg over the world, one leg in, On the other side is that at some point God's going to call you to task. You have to step on one side or the other. And just as God is real and Jesus is real, I didn't say a whole lot about the spiritual battle that we're in, but Satan is real too, and he's going to do everything to keep you on that other side. And you have to make a decision what side you want to be on. And trust me, trust me. Once you make a decision to jump on the other side, God will meet you there. Jesus will meet you and say, "Go with me." But he can't get you. He's not going to pick you up over the fence. 't Greg will bring you over the fence. If you want to come, if you want to start leaning, he'll bring you the rest of the way and say, come on, let's do this walk together. So just faithfulness. And God honors your faithfulness.
0: Thank you. And that's been a word for us lately is faithfulness, God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness, and then our faithfulness in response, our obedience in response. So that's right in line with what the Holy Spirit has been saying to us. Um, I'm going uh, to ask a superintendent to just pray for us, to bless us. Please uh, hang out. There's cold water in the back. Uh, stick around. Please sign up. Let us know about coming to Pat's and the Fest on August 4th. Please sign up for that in the back today as well. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for worshiping with us. And we'll see you next week. Would you pray for us, please? I will. And I'm going to ask Pastor
1: David to do me a favor. Is that I, want to, uh, I want to bless you. And I'm going to ask you, please, let's bless these people. Most gracious God, we thank you so very much for this day of life. We thank you for what you've done in this place at this time. We thank you for allowing this gathering to take place. We ask now that you'd meet us at that place and each one of us have a separate need. I'm asking that you would meet them each at that place of their need. You know, we know you know. And we ask you to be do that and give, allow them to live that life that they in their heart they want to live. But, but that we know that their commitment to you through their faithfulness, you can make that come true. So we ask you to meet them at that place. You ask them to be with them today. We ask you to just continue to show them that you love them. Allow them to just be faithful to you. And we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for for your grace. We ask and thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen.